you would turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're in the second chapter, and uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, what are probably some familiar verses this morning, uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. While you're doing that, I also uh, encourage you to find the fellowship register pads that are on the inside of the pews, and if you wouldn't mind filling those out, uh, we'd love to communicate with you if you're visiting this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Let's come before our God now in a time of prayer. Father, we um, we come come now to the the reading and the, the teaching of your word. And we ask that you would give us this morning... A, uh, a humble confidence as we sit underneath your word. We, we ask that you would humble us underneath your word because it is, uh, it's you speaking. It's, it's God speaking to, to his people. And we pray that we would understand that we are but your creatures and we are sinful creatures at that. And we, we ask that you would humble us before your voice. But we don't only pray for humility this morning as we come before your word. We, we do ask that you would remind us of the way you use your word to work. And that that would give us great confidence this morning as we sit under the reading and hearing of your, your word. Um, we open up the, the Bible, this grand story um, that you are at work in, and the very first thing is that we we see is that you are there speaking, and by your voice you call all that is into existence. We see Jesus speaking in the Gospels, and when he speaks by the very power of his voice and those words that go out of his mouth, the dead come to life. Father, we pray that you would remind us of this this power of your word this morning and that you would humble us before it at the same time, giving us this great humble confidence. We ask ultimately this morning that you would lift our eyes to see the hero of this story. Um, All of these books of the Bible point us to Jesus. And so it's our prayer that we would see him this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <coughs> a while ago, I, I heard this story about <coughs> this small college town somewhere in Georgia. And, and near this particular town, there was a dam holding back this huge river. And, the, you know, this story happened years and years ago. But basically, one, ev- one evening, everything was 
going as normal. You know, life was happening as it always happened. Uh, But at 2 o'clock in the morning while everyone was asleep, that dam burst and completely destroyed that town. You know, people were totally caught off guard by it. Um, This powerful river, and a lot of people actually died that day. Uh, And they had... They had no warning whatsoever, and the interesting thing in this, this little story is they had no warning, but there was a man in that town who was responsible for inspecting that dam regularly, and he had actually inspected it the day prior to it bursting. And someone came and interviewed this guy, and they basically, in their interview, they got to the point, and they said, Do you feel guilty about what happened? It was your job to inspect the dam the day before all of this happened. And you didn't warn anybody. And he said, honestly, I don't feel guilty at all. And that kind of surprised the reporter. And so they asked why. And he said, well, you know, when you're inspecting the dam, and if if I was inspecting it that afternoon, you know, I, I would have come and It could have been that there may have been a damp spot on the surface of the wall, but I wouldn't have been able to see it. You know, he said, but what happened was probably around 10 o'clock that night, that damp spot finally broke. And there would have been a, a stream about the size of water that comes out of your kitchen faucet coming out of that that dam. He said it would have grown to about midnight that, that hole would have enlarged to about the size of a basketball with water coming out. All of this leading until 2 o'clock in the morning when that dam burst and destroyed that town. And here's what I'm saying. You know, if you and I were there, if we were responsible for inspecting the dam that afternoon before it burst, we wouldn't have noticed anything either. We couldn't have noticed anything. We, we would have been unimpressed with the dam. It would have just looked like there's a wall holding back a river, right? That's it. You know, all, all that would have been there was a damp spot on the surface of the dam. But the reason that dam burst to pieces and destroyed that town was because of what was behind that damp spot on the surface of that wall. And what was behind it was a, was a river raging with enough power to blow that dam to bits and destroy that town. Power beyond what we could have imagined. I mean, everything looked calm but there was enough power to blow it apart. You know, change, I think, change in our lives is something that we can all identify with, with wanting, with having a desire to see change. We want deep and powerful change to be at work in our lives. You know, I mean, we look at, at, our, at our lives and we see things that we're ashamed of in our lives. We look and we see things that we, we really, really want to be different in our lives. But here's the thing. A lot of the time, if you're honest with yourself, you look at your life in the places where you desperately want change. And all you see is a damp spot. I mean, it looks like nothing is there. It's very unimpressive. Not much to notice at all. Not the kind of change that you dream about. You want big change, but here's this unimpressive little trickle of water. The passage that we read just a couple of minutes ago tells us that there is hope for those who put their trust in Jesus and follow him. And it isn't a hope that's some kind of wishful thinking. 
It's far more than a possibility. Paul is saying that change and growth and transformation is a reality, and it is certain for God's people. And listen, the reason there is certainty is because of what lies behind what just appears to you to be a damp spot on the surface of your life. And what lies behind it, behind what oftentimes seems so insignificant to us and so unnoticeable to us, Paul is saying is a gospel full of power to transform you. What lies behind it, behind what seems to be just a trickle, is a gracious God powerfully and mightily working to change his people from the inside out. So here are the two points for us to consider this morning. God's work and our work. And as we look at these two verses, I want us to begin by focusing on the second verse. You know, occasionally you need to take verses like this out of order, and the reason is pretty simple. The point of these verses are to say that God's people work, and they change, and they grow because it is a mighty God at work in them. So basically what we're, we're starting with the why question, right? Why is it that I'm going to tell you at the end of this sermon that you are to strive for holiness and righteousness and work? and extend effort in doing all of those things. Why are you to work? And Paul says, you are to work because it is God at work in you. I want to start by noticing something interesting in the beginning of verse 12 that I think opens up what Paul's saying. The beginning of verse 12, Paul says, he writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. I mean, why would he say that? I think it's probably pretty easy and almost natural to get up, get caught up in following a strong leader. Someone like Paul. I, I mean, it might be hard for someone in this situation to imagine what life would be like without the Apostle Paul. You know, but I, I think he's, Paul is simply teasing them into the next verse. He's saying, continue obeying and doing these things because, you know, it's wink, wink. You know, you know that it's not my presence that matters, that brings about change. He's saying the author of change itself is at work in you. That's the presence you need to be considering. Now, I, I hope that makes sense because I think you and I are to find comfort in this as we read this. Because look, ultimately, ultimately, Paul is saying that your growth and your hope for change isn't dependent on you. And you've got to hear that as good news. I mean, that's good news for people like me. I mean, I just, I I never seem to be able to get things right in my life. I mean, I always seem to be blowing it. I mean, this is good news and comfort for God's people that ultimately this work depends on God. I mean, because I would, if it depended on me, All I'm left with is panic and despair. I mean, I wouldn't even make it home for lunch today. And Paul is saying that this story goes differently. It's not dependent on you. Your hero, your God, he is not done working with you. He is the one changing you. I mean, this is the reason it's impossible for a Christian to never change. Sure, we stumble and fail, and there, there are times where it appears that there's no change at times. But it's impossible for the Christian never to grow, and never to change, and never to be transformed. Because Paul's saying, it lies with God. It's his work. Listen, I know that some of you are discouraged with 
struggles that are in your life right now. And, and I know that all you see in your life is a damp spot where you're hoping for a river. And I do empathize with you because I know what it is to just be, just get tired of being me sometimes. It, but I, I need you to hear that despite what you may feel in the moment, God is active in your life if you are resting in Jesus. And He's able and willing to change you. Okay, fair enough with all of that. But, you know, God's at work in His people to bring about change. But what kind of change are we talking about here? And I think this is important. Because, you know, there's a change that I think all of us tend to gravitate towards. And that change that I'm talking about is an external change. We tend to gravitate there. I mean, we love it when people... Tell us something. You know, we love it when we can get our hands on a list or, or a bunch of steps towards, you know, holiness or righteousness. We love it when we can get our hands on something like that, you know, so we can write it on a post-it note, stick it on our bathroom mirror, and we can go down the list and check it off. I mean, we, we love the external stuff because, you know, it makes our life feel a little bit more manageable. Like we've got a little bit more control with this whole thing. It, it really makes us feel like, Maybe we can save ourselves. I mean, after all, I can not do that and not go there and do this and do that. I mean, we we feel like we can handle the list okay. But you and I know instinctively, and we know it in our gut, because we feel the knot in our stomach, because we all know that we can look one way on the outside and that not be anywhere close to the truth about who we are. You see, what we really need is change in the depths of our being. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you change the outside, you only change the outside. But Paul is saying, if the inside gets changed, then the inside and the outside gets changed along with it. You see, he's talking about this inside-out transformation. That's why he said said, God works in you. To will and to act according to his good purpose. He does this work in you and changes your desires so that you will also act differently. So that you will be different and not just do different things. You know, no one goes to the doctor and says, I don't care about the tumor. Just make me feel better. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, you go in and you say, get to the root of this problem. I need the cure at the root. And Paul is saying that's how God is. And that's how God deals with his people, how good he is to his people. He is willing to deal with the real, deep heart issues of your life and bring about change there. And you know what? Paul says in this passage, he says that God does all of this according to his good purpose. In other words, God goes to these lengths with you and with me because he is producing something that ultimately pleases him. We're in this section of Paul's letter where Paul is trying to convince people in the church to have an attitude of humility. And so last week we saw this passage where Paul talked to us about Jesus, and you can look in those verses immediately following before to see. And here we're talking about growing and changing and becoming people that are pleasing to God. And if you're getting this, I think it's really, really hard to walk away from these verses and be proud at all. 
Because the change that you see in your life, when you do see it, it isn't because you are good, Paul is saying. He's saying it's because God is good. You know, I said this the other week, and I think it deserves repeating. Most of us go about trying to get humility and even to change ourselves by looking at ourselves. And so we say to ourselves, you know, you're... And we don't say it out loud, but we say, you know, you're horrible. Why can't you get it right? If people knew what you were really like, they would be disgusted with you and, and so on. And that's how we talk to ourselves often. And we think that somehow that will produce in us humility and even change. And Paul is saying, for you to be humble, you've got to stop looking at yourself and let your eyes rest on Jesus. Let your eyes rest on the goodness of God to see what he has done. For his broken people and what he is doing in his broken people. Consider that everything good thing that you have done, every good thing that you desire to do, is really a result of God's goodness to change you from the inside out. As you see, that brings real humility, genuine humility, when we understand that we can't even begin to do and work until God works in us. You know, my wife and I... um, we're young parents, uh, but we've learned a, a few things in the parenting business. And, um, you know, whenever we talk to someone who's about to have their first child, um, we say, you know, one of the most important things for you to do as a new parent is to buy rechargeable batteries. You know, I, I guess you've noticed that all all the toys today... They light up, they talk, they sing, they vibrate, they shake, they ro- whatever they do. They all take batteries today. I mean, you can hardly find Legos and just blocks of wood um, for, for your kids to play with anymore. And, you know, when the batteries die, the toys become completely useless. I mean, you understand? I mean, it's a useless piece of plastic when it was made to light up when it was made to sing, when it was made to talk to you, when it, whatever it was made to do. And so, you know, get the rechargeable batteries because when they run out, you need to be able to plug some more in there. Anyway, I'm not afraid to admit that I don't understand everything in these two verses. I think most of our lives are lived trying to figure these verses out. I don't understand all of it, but what I do understand is that without God's work in us, it is impossible for us to be what we were made to be. I mean, in my kids' toys, it's the batteries that make my kids do what it might, my, my, my kids might make their toys do what they're made to do, right? It is God's work inside of us that causes us to be the people he has called us to be. And that's called transforming grace. By God's grace, he changes his people. By his grace, he gives us the hope that not only is change a possibility, but it is a reality for his people. And here's what I want you to get out of this first first point. Rest and dependence. You are made and redeemed to rest in the goodness of God. And you are also made to depend on him for every good thing, even the change that you long for. I'll open this up more in a second, but the transformation you are looking for in your life 
comes not by looking in the mirror, but by looking into the face of God. You are made to rest and depend on Him. So here's where we find ourselves. Change and growth is a reality because of God's work in us. But what do we do with that? You know, that's... You know, where do you go from there? Uh, Paul writes at the end of verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, I, I imagine that some people after they hear the first point are thinking, you know, well, guess I don't have to do anything. You know, just sit here and let it happen. Big change is coming. Um, but Paul doesn't see it like that at all. Um, in, in fact, the very opposite. I mean, because of what you know about God's activity in your life, Paul is saying, it's time to get after it. It's time to expend energy and effort and diligence to work out your salvation because of what you know about God's work. And so we're turning from looking at God's work to look look at our work in this second point. And you know, when Paul writes and he says that we are to work out our salvation, it does confuse some people. And so we need to be clear about what he's saying. And so... Um, you know, he isn't saying here that your salva- that our salvation is in any way earned by our works or that your work contributes anything to your salvation. I mean, that's why he chooses the words he chooses. That's why he says, work out your salvation instead of work for your salvation. And he's using that word salvation really to talk about this change, this growth uh, that we've been talking about so far. He's saying the appropriate response to Jesus... And the appropriate response to understanding that God is at work in your life is really for you to work out salvation into your everyday life. I'm sure someone's given you a present before, right? They've given you a gift for your birthday or Christmas or whatever, and you open it up, and it's a box. And you open the box, and it's a bunch of pieces. And there's this little pamphlet in there, and it says the instruction manual. And so they've given you a gift, and they've said, now you've got to put it together. And I think that's something of what we're talking about here. This great gift of salvation, Paul is saying, you've got to now apply that to life. To every nook and cranny of your life, you have to take the gospel there. And to work righteousness and holiness into all of those areas. You see, this gift has to change the way you relate to your husband. This gift has to change the way you deal with your children and how you go about your work. And it has to impact and change the way you deal with your relationships. I mean, the way you, it's got to impact the way you see your stuff and your money. The gospel is supposed to deal with all of your life. See, we're talking about working to produce real holiness and righteousness in our lives. The Christian life is about applying the gospel to the mundane, ordinary stuff of our lives. But see, here's the deal, though. You're not going to figure out how to put that gift together this afternoon. I hate to tell you that. That's why Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, I think if anything's clear when we read the Bible about about what it means to follow Jesus, it's really this, that it is a struggle and it is continual. It is one foot in front of the other stuff. And sometimes it's going backwards. I mean, it is a struggle. It's a process. It's this continual thing that's not easy. And I think understanding that is really a mark of maturity in the life of God's people. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have asked people this very simple question, you know, 
how are, how are you doing or how are you doing spiritually or I don't always phrase it the same way, but something along those lines. And, and people just, you know, say, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. <laughs> and it's the, by far the number one response. But, but I, I keep looking for someone to say, you know, how are you doing spiritually? And somebody to say, things are so tough right now. I keep trying to do and to think what is right. And I keep struggling. I wake up in the morning and I think, Oh, good. Here comes another day where I got to battle with myself all day long. That's the response that I want to hear. Because when you get that kind of response, you're able to say, good. It sounds like you're a normal Christian struggling in life to work out the gospel in all these areas. And then so when you meet that person, you can just say, hey, let's go play golf. Things are going the way they should be going in your life. You know. We're almost done, but, you know, we're to be striving and working to apply the gospel into our everyday lives. It's this ongoing and continual work. But here's the real question you're interested in this morning. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, how do you find strength for that kind of day in and day out battle with yourself? And here's the key, I think. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, whenever Paul uses that little phrase, he uses it in Corinthians and Ephesians, and whenever he uses it, he is talking about being in the presence of God. You know, Sinclair Ferguson, commentator, he writes about this verse and those words, and he says this, There should always be a sense of awe in the life of a believer, a sense of living where we are always visible. Always understood through and through, and amazingly, always loved by the Holy One. That's what it means to live with fear and trembling. You are in the presence of God, and in His presence, you are fully known and fully loved, and it fills you with awe. Do you know how crazy it is? I mean, because it is crazy. That he would put these two things together when talking about fear and trembling. That he would say, that he would have the boldness to say, that what, what this means is that we live with God knowing us completely on the one hand. But also for him to turn around and say in the same breath, that we also know that we are loved, not only just, not just known, but also loved by the Holy One. We're getting there. Living with this kind of fear and trembling, it'll change you. I remember hearing a preacher named Tim Keller talk about being known, and it wasn't on this passage, but talking about being known and loved at the same time. And he said, what if someone didn't know you but had affection for you? Didn't know you but still had affection for you? It wouldn't do very much for you. I mean, it might even be a little creepy, right? Well, what if someone does know you And they reject you. Well, that's not very good either. To be known and not loved is not good. To be loved and not known is not good. Do you know what you were made for? You were made to be known and loved. In John chapter 2, verse 24, 
we're told that Jesus would not entrust himself to people. And it tells us why. Because he knew all men. Okay? You've got to follow me on this because we are going somewhere with this. He knew what they were really like. He knew what you were really like. You know what he's saying? He's saying he understood them through and through. And he understands you through and through. And so you read the rest of the story, right? Well, how does the story end? It doesn't end with Jesus saying, I knew all men and I reject you and I'm going home. The story ends with him on a cross. Dying for his people. Do you know what happened on the cross? Jesus lost he lost the smile of his father. I mean, why? Why would he be willing to do that? He, he did it because he knew you. And he also loved you. I mean, he knew what you were like. And he still loved you. He did it so that you would never be able to lose your father's smile. He did it so that you would never be cut off from the presence of God. And Paul is saying, you work, you strive, you expend tons of energy into working out the gospel into, into your life. You work to see change, you work to see transformation, you do it because God's at work in you, yes, But you do it with fear and trembling. You do it in His presence, in the presence of the one who knows you and loves you. You are living before the face of God, Paul is saying. You know, we tend to spend a lot of time looking in the mirror at ourselves and thinking that will help us change. I know you've done this. I know I do this. We think, this time I will get mad enough at my problems. I'll get mad enough about the issues of my life. This time, I'll be disgusted enough with myself that I'll start to see change. We think, I wasn't disciplined enough last time. I'll get get angry enough so I get disciplined. And that'll bring about change. I mean, we tend to obsess about us, is what I'm saying. We tend to obsess about ourselves, and we think that that is going to work in producing deep change in us. And I'm telling you, it does not work like that. And it's because Paul is saying you are made to live before the face of God. Listen to me. What kind of impact would it have on your life to look into the eyes of the one who wept for you? What kind of change would it bring about in your life to look into the face of the one who gave his son for you? Would it transform you to see the one who knows you better than you know yourself? Not but, but and he loves you. And he loves you better than you could possibly dream. You know, all of a sudden I think, if we understand that that is the presence we are living in, some of the sins that so easily tend to entangle you begin to look very unattractive. It's weird how that works, right? 
It would make you want to be different is what I'm saying. And it would cause you to strive and work and sweat to be transformed. But, a, but here's the key. For a whole other set of reasons than simply being more angry and more disgusted with yourself. For the reason that you are known and loved. My hope this morning is that you would be encouraged. You know, you'd be encouraged in these ways. To know that behind what oftentimes seems to be so insignificant in your life, in just this damp spot, that you would be encouraged to know that there is a God there at work in His people bringing about change from the inside out. But that you would also... I really want for us to be able to consider what it means to work out your salvation in the presence, before the face of God, before the one who knows us and loves us, and that we would learn in the midst of the struggles and temptations of life to look into that face and live before him. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you this morning and we are humbled to consider that, that, you're, um, that you're at work in our lives. We often find ourselves frustrated, wanting more and bigger change. And we pray that you would remind us that you are at work in us. And you are ultimately responsible for bringing about the very change that we desire. In fact, those desires themselves are given by you. We pray that you would cause us to be a people who are mature enough to realize and understand that knowing you are at work in us is reason for us to work. And to know that that work is continual and to know that that work is done in your presence, to know that that work is done before you who know us through and through and yet love us completely. We pray that you would transform your people by your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.